0: From Luminary, this is Karamo, a podcast. Hey friends, welcome to Karamo. I'm your host, Karamo. And on this episode, I'm talking to singer, TV host, and entrepreneur, Lance Bass. You may know him from the international supergroup In NSYNC. And I got to tell you, the little 15-year-old boy inside of me is freaking out right now because I was one of those super fans of NSYNC. And though I know Lance personally now as an adult, we are going to be discussing life, love, and finding new purpose. So without further ado, let's start talking and growing, friends.
1: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well...
2: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today.
0: Hey, friends. Lance, thank you for being here, my friend.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: Every time I run into you here in California or anytime that, you know, I see you out, it always blows my mind. I ain't gonna lie to you. We're about the same age. And so I was in the phase of where I had you on my wall. So (laughs) I'm sure you hear that all the time. You define certain outfits that I wore to school. Are you kidding me? Like there was moments I would look up at that poster and be like, oh, my jeans have to look like that today. So (laughs) what three times too big, (laughs) three times too big. (laughs) But it was the fashion trend back then, like all the guys were wearing things that were way too oversized. I remember I bought goggles and wore on my head only for like a week because of you all. Yeah, Chris Patcher. yeah. Yes, I was yeah. like, don't know why I'm wearing goggles, but I'm going to wear <laughs> goggles to school today. <laughs> oh so it always is nice when you see someone who you respect not only as a talent, but someone you respect just as a human being for them to be equally as nice as you would assume they would have been. Because as we know in this Hollywood game, you meet people and you're like, oh, you're not as cool as I thought you were going to be uh... placed on how uh, you were on TV
2: the most disappointing thing when you meet someone that's like one of your favorite people in the business and then yes they disappoint it's heartbreaking it happens a lot
0: (laughs) one of the things that i really appreciate about you is that though i'm not in a boy band (laughs) you know but being with four other guys who we all have been given our different personalities and have to go on tour together and have to shoot a show together. It reminds me of the similarities of being in a boy band. And, you know, there's a lot of things that I've talked to other people who are in girl groups that I hear these sort of things that come up, reoccurring themes. And I kind of want to talk to you about your time, because we all know you were in the largest boy band in the world. Twenty five million record soul. But during that time there's a lot of going on with comparison and competition and I kind of want to talk to you about how you kept yourself sane and intact during that time and then found a new path afterwards. The first thing I really want to go into is comparison. You know, one of the things that I always tell people is comparison is the thief of joy because I'm a big believer when you start to compare yourself to other people that that's when you start to lose sight of yourself and lose sight of your own happiness. How was it for you? being in a boy band at such a fragile age and being compared not only by record label executives, but also by fans, comparing yourself to the guys around you?
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, it was hard because I was definitely young. I was 16 when I joined Sync, And I was just learning everything about myself. And especially being a closeted gay boy, you know, there was even more layers you know, to my situation. So to be thrown into a situation where you have four other guys that immediately become your best friends and four very distinct different personalities too, Yeah, <laughs> you had to really learn how to just cope and deal with whatever life threw at you. But it's funny how you say everyone gets their own personality kind of given to you. And it happened with the Spice Girls too. It's like they didn't start out as Scary Spice and Baby Spice and all that. The magazines started calling them that. Mm-hmm. And then – Once they got that name, they started turning into those characters. (laughs) And I felt that's kind of how we started when we started out back in Germany. We didn't really know what our identity was as a band, really. And the magazine started saying, you know, Oh, Lance is the shy one. And I wasn't really shy. I definitely didn't want to speak a lot because I didn't want people to figure out that I was gay. Mm. But but then I became that kind of quiet, meek, shy guy in the band, because that's what everyone just started telling me I was. How did that make you feel? The fact that you sort of picked up this persona that really wasn't who you were? Well, it was a good defensive mechanism for me because I just embraced it because that way I knew it was so much easier to hide my personal and my sexual life was just to be like, oh, he's just really shy. Oh, he's just very religious. Oh, you know, he doesn't have time for girlfriends. So it really helped me out in that way. Wow,
0: that's interesting. I didn't even think about that. You're going through this time where you are getting this identity put on you, but at the same time, the fake identity is helping to shield you and protect you from the public, what were you afraid would happen to you if people would have
2: found out your real identity? Oh, my gosh. I mean, this was definitely a different time 20 years ago. You know, it was a career killer. I mean, and everyone made sure you knew that. I mean, even being seen with a girlfriend or having a cigarette in your hand. I mean, all of those were career killers for, you know, a pop band. Well, even if you had a girlfriend, because
0: I felt like that was one of the things of, like, pairing people up back then, you know, because little pop magazines uh-huh. I got. It was like, who's paired up, you know? I guess that was strategic. Yeah, back
2: in my day, it was real hidden relationships that mattered.
0: Yeah. <laughs> wow. By the way, um, you said something that my kids always say to me, and I'm 39, so I'm still in my 30s. But they're like, you know you're getting old because you just said, back in my day, well, as you're still too young and handsome, you cannot turn into the old guy yet. <laughs>
2: Sadly, it's a kind of a running joke with me on my podcast because I say it like twice a show. I'm like, God damn it. Oh, well. <laughs> so, yes, I'm old.
0: <laughs> so, you know, as the band started to get bigger and people started to really fall in love with you all, how did you deal with the extra attention or lack of attention that you might have received based on – The fact that people were like, okay, let's highlight this person. Let's not highlight this person. Let's give this person stuff. How did you keep sane in those moments to feel comfortable about, hey, I still have a path here?
2: No, I mean, it became a team effort for sure, and it became a business. And we realized that after our huge lawsuit with Lou Pearlman, like really things really just changed in our brain towards just what we were doing as a business. Like as a group, we knew what we were. We loved doing what we did. But if we wanted to make this a business, which we all did, we had to really focus on that. I mean, we always took it with a grain of salt every time. We would always see like a magazine or the record label, like pushing certain people up, you know, (laughs) and like really marketing a certain way. But we always were in on the joke. And so we always spoke about it, made fun of it. And it was just what it was. It definitely felt lonely, I would say, to have to be a different person in such a public way. Because knowing that that wasn't my true self, and I couldn't really tell anyone what my true self was, it definitely became lonely. Mm. Through those lonely feelings, how were you reacting? You just put all your thoughts and everything into work. And I became such a workaholic. Even if we had two days off, I was trying to find something for me to keep busy with because I didn't want to deal with that side of my life. So like I started you know, just putting my hands into so many different projects where it just kept me overworked. And I kind of, sadly, it's still what I do today because it's just such a habit.
0: (laughs) That's avoidance. And that's something that a lot of people do. It's something that I do. It's like when you don't want to really deal with the feeling. How do you now try to navigate that? Now that you know like, hey, I'm working extra because of the fact that there's some feelings I'm not able to look at. How do you now try to process it?
2: it's so much easier now. I mean, of course, age helps and wisdom, but it also helps to have a partner. And before I could say who I was, I didn't have a sounding board, right? And I couldn't even tell myself, right? I couldn't just talk to myself about it. With someone, you know, like Michael, who I get to talk everything out with, and be my sounding board and, you know, bring me back down to reality. That's what really helps me deal with anything these days. Yeah. You know, one of the
0: things I love about you and Michael's relationship is your social media is how you scare the hell out of him. <laughs> I do the same thing with my fiance and he hates it. I literally stand at the top of the stairs and wait for him to walk up and he freaks out every single time. And I'm like, get it together, dude. You know that I'm going to be here.
2: You know that I'm going to scare you. But I do. Well, it's so funny because, I mean, I feel bad. I usually only do it in October for Halloween because I want 11 months to you know, have his heart not explode. <laughs> quarantine I just brought him back because I felt like the world needed these scares uh, <laughs> but I feel like look if he hated it I would definitely stop it but I think he actually enjoys it <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> that's what I feel maybe it's the crazy part of me but I'm like you actually like me scaring you I think that there's something <laughs> yeah. about them that like it.
2: Yeah, we're just going to tell ourselves
0: that, yeah. Completely. You brought up Lou a little bit ago, and I saw the trailer for... Boy Band Con. Yeah, Boy Band Con, which I thought was extraordinary. And I remember I read this quote where you said, during that time, there were so many other boy bands and there was so much other, quote-unquote, competition. And you were told that you couldn't talk to them because they hated you so much. How was that for you, thinking that you had to be in this constant competition with somebody because they didn't like you and that you couldn't be yourself around them or you couldn't interact with them because there was some competition there.
2: You know what? I actually enjoyed it. I was a teenager and I'm a pretty competitive person. So it felt like I was on my high school football team (laughs) and this was a rival team. And so it's just part of the game. You talk shit about each other. You don't want to talk. And it just makes you a better team at the end. And really, it was just the Backstreet Boys. We actually toured and got to know a lot of the other boy bands and we were totally fine with, but Lou didn't want us canoodling with his other band. And maybe part of that was because he knew that this friendly competition would make us better bands, but... I don't think Lou really thought that far in advance.
0: Was this like West Side Stories? Were y'all literally over there like thinking like, (laughs) (laughs) like, I'm gonna like cut you in the street or something? (laughs)
2: Uh Yeah, and it's like in the Backstreet Alley. I think they got named because there's a street called Backstreet in Orlando, Florida. So yeah, that's where we meet and we throw down. (laughs) (laughs) That is a parody or a skit that I would love to see. Like
0: the 10 of y'all like sitting here about to fight one another. So now listen, when the band decided that they were going to break up, what I love about you is that you actually were able to find a new path. You became an executive producer. You became an entrepreneur. How hard was it for you to find a new path after being part of something that was so iconic? I
2: mean, it was pretty difficult. You know, there's a lot of doors opened, obviously, for you because of the situation you went through. So you had to try to take advantage of that as much as possible. But then on the other side of the coin... Everyone knows you so well and for one thing, and that's what they want you to do. So, you know, it's hard to get people to see you other than that, like 16-year-old Lance Revin So that's definitely gotten in the way of a lot of entertainment things. People couldn't really see past that. And that's why I really was more interested in getting into writing and producing and creating my own art, because I know... We only have a certain amount of time in front of the camera. We all try to squeeze as much as we can out, but then there's a certain point where you just, you can't, you don't do it anymore. And I want to make sure that I'm set up and doing things I love and creating art behind the camera. Yeah, I want to go back to what you
0: just said there, because I think it's something very interesting about how people could not see past you being Lance from NSYNC. How did you deal with that? And how do you still deal with that when people are like, oh, well, we can't bring you on because you're Lance from the boy band?
2: Yeah, I mean, it it happens all the time, and especially not only was I in a boy band, but, you know, also came out very publicly. So now it's.
1: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row?
2: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The gay guy from NSYNC, Mm. um, which is a bigger brand on you and a brand that it's hard to get a job, frankly. Yeah. Um, I had my own sitcom with Joey Fatone at the CW months before I came out and I came out publicly right before we shot the pilot. And CW was like, well, we can't do it now because people won't see past you not being gay on this show. Wow. Great. So you run into a lot of that. I'm like, okay. So that's when I knew I was like, okay, I got to pivot. Just got to take what you can get and figure out where I belong in this business.
0: Wow. That's interesting that the CW, what year was this? It was 2006, yeah. Well, a lot of these young kids, and now I sound old. (laughs) I'm like, but a lot of these young kids don't understand because they see, like, so many people who are part of the LGBT community and that we have these successes and we're doing things now. And it's like when you hear stories like that in 2006 where a network would be like, uh... Nah, sorry, you're right, like self-identifying as gay. It sounds foreign because now there's shows where it's like LGBT characters and everything. It's like, oh yes, more and more and more, we want diversity. But when you think just 10, 12 years ago, there was a door being shut for you because of the fact that you were yeah. self-identifying who you were and living your authentic life is, is wild.
2: And at that time, we thought that was actually a great thing, like we saw a movement, like wow. People were paying attention to me and actually not making fun of me being gay. I thought it was just such an easy joke. Every comedian was going to go south with it negative, but it was such a positive experience. So, you know, I didn't have what Ellen had to deal with 20 years ago. Yeah. You know, at that point when I came out, I thought it was a huge success because of the reaction. Although, yes, there was a lot of negative things that came with it, but there was so much positive that I just thought it was a good step in the right direction.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. I want to talk more about the fact that you have found all these new avenues, because I don't think a lot of people know that you have not only with your podcast and other things you do on television, but you like are an entrepreneur before the quarantine. I would go to your club here in West Hollywood and would hang out. Where did you find the tools to say, let me become an entrepreneur
2: and let me start establishing businesses. I mean, I've always been an entrepreneur at heart. And even within Sync, you know, I was the business guy. You know, I had my own office on the road. I signed every check. Really? You were signing checks over there? Every single one. True. I love that. So, you know, I was always just kind of always thinking outside the box when it came within Sync. So different specials and different weird marketing and merchandise stuff. Like I just loved doing all of that. So it just naturally progressed into me being interested in a lot of different things. And uh, then I've started partnering up with amazing people and started some great companies. And it's been a lot of fun. I have a lot of weird interests. And I try to kind of put my hands in as many things as possible. But you have to have great teams to help run it.
0: I remember reading that you signed up with the Russian space group like a while back. And now you're like an astronaut. Is that like
2: <laughs> a real story? Or is that like, it is. I was like, what the hell? Yeah, I'd be the youngest person to ever go to space. So Went to Russia, trained there, became a cosmonaut. And a week before my launch, it got canceled over insurance. (laughs) You were really about to go to space, Lance? Oh, yeah. My clothes are still up on the ISS. What? (laughs)
0: That would have been wild. That would have been wild. You're talking about something that I would have never expected someone who was in a boy band to say they went to space.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny. As I'm talking to you, I'm looking at this framed picture in front of me. And my friend, Ed Liu, who's an astronaut and spent six months on the International Space Station. He was going to be up there when I was going to be up there for 10 days. And so he went through the closets and found my flight suit (laughs) and ripped off my little name tag floated it in front of Earth, you know, in front of the window, took a picture and then brought it back down to me. He's like, look what I found in space just to be an asshole. <laughs> That's like you asked. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. <laughs> where do you find the sort of
0: courage to be like, let me just try something new? Because I know that people pigeonhole you into this whole Lance from Sync, but you have to find that strength to say, let me just try something like going to space.
2: Where does that come from? Well, space, you know, started early for me. I wanted to be an astronaut before music. I used to go to shuttle launches with my grandfather and my dad, and my path was to become an astronaut. And then music just kind of landed in my lap, and I thought the astronaut dream was over. But then, yeah, it just got a a random call. And I figure when doors like that open, you got to jump at them, you know. Even if things completely fail, I enjoy the journey of an adventure like that. That is beautiful. I enjoy
0: the journey. And this is going to take a little bit of a term, but I remember reading an article that when Lou Perlman and this is the man who put together NSYNC, Backstreet Boys, every one of those bands. You know, if there was a boy band, he was most likely responsible for it. When he passed away in 2016 in jail, after all the bad things that he had did, I remember reading you say— that you sort of felt relieved and that you had found closure in this. Yeah. Why was there so much relief and closure in that moment for you?
2: It's something that I guess I was holding a lot of just bad feelings against Lou and the whole situation that we went through with him. And it was something that just kind of ignored again. Like I was saying before, it's just so busy you get to tune that kind of stuff out. But it wasn't until I was uh, producing this documentary last year on him that I got to really know Lou from as a kid to death and just see how the inner work has really worked. And it was cathartic for me. Yes, he was a crook and he was a horrible man. But then on the <laughs> other side is he was a family member and he did such a great thing for music today. So how do you quantify you know, what he did in this music industry, but still be such a, a horrible person? You know, what really did it for me was looking at his childhood and seeing where he began to start lying to people just to get people to like him. And he was just angry that he was just an unpopular kid. And it just got bigger and bigger and started stealing all of his friends' you know stories and ideas and making them his own and creating this fake world around him. And it, it blew up into this huge billion-dollar business. It's so strange. Yeah.
0: You know, what people don't even realize, and I'm always like, listen, when somebody is acting out of order, when they're rude or whatever, it's not saying that you need to forgive it. But what I love about what you just said is that there's always a story to it. You know, no one just comes in and wakes up one day and is like, I am the asshole or I am the crook or whatever. There's usually things that lead up to it. And I think that for us to find healing and growth is what you did of sort of saying like, yeah, you were a bad guy, but you were also a good guy in some way. And holistically, I have to recognize that so that way that I can start to realize what you did wasn't really about me, it was about all those feelings you had as a child. Because all that stuff that went on before I was even in the picture is the reason why you're acting like this today. And I gotta be like, oh, yeah, you hurt me, but this wasn't about me. And I gotta just release you. Yep. How did you find the ability to do that? I mean, because even though you could read and see what he had done as a child, you still had to find something in yourself to say, you know what, I can forgive him and
2: I can move on. I've found peace in my life and I've always been a very forgiving person, a little too forgiving. But uh, the older I get, the more that I've just really become you know, spiritual and I love meditating and that's really kind of quieted my brain. And so yeah, I think that really kind of helped me see the positive in things.
0: mm, Yeah. That's a good thing. Meditation. Mm -hmm. Listen, Lance, you have so much things you got going on. But as we talked about, you and Michael is one of the things that is most important to your life. You know, you can see that on your Instagram. You all were one of the first couples ever to have a wedding special, if not the first couple wedding special on television. So you're just breaking barriers left and right, my friend. What is next for you with that side of your life. I know that you all were thinking of having a child and you suffered a miscarriage. What's next for you two?
2: We're still trying to plan the family. This pandemic definitely put another wrench in our our plans, but uh, we uh, have found the new donor now. So we hope to create embryos as soon as possible, as soon as all this is over with. So hopefully next year we'll be dads. And that is That is my next goal, for sure.
0: You know, we always talk about the female's experience when they have a miscarriage, and we never talk about someone who's using a surrogate in their experience. What was it like for you personally losing your child? And I think there was nine miscarriages that you've been through?
2: No, that was definitely a misprint. They didn't understand me. Okay. (laughs) No, we've gone through nine donors, not attempts. This was our first attempt, and the first time to get pregnant, and it was actually with twins. Wow. Of course, you always hear... That, you know, the first time you do it, half the time it doesn't work. All of our friends went through the same experience. So we knew there was a high probability of these not sticking. But for seven weeks, you can't help your brain start kind of already planning their future and wondering what they're going to like, you know, your subconscious is just doing this. So. There is this kind of bond and connection that's forming that you're trying not to pay attention to. But yes, I mean, of course, when it happened, it's it's devastating.
0: Yeah. Well, who did you turn to for support in that moment? You've now planned this life with children that you've now had to mourn, even though you didn't ever meet them
2: physically. Yeah. Who did you turn to and how did you deal with that grief? So many people, so many of my girlfriends that they've had kids in the last few years, They've been going through this process with me. You know, I wasn't one of those that I didn't want to keep everything a secret and then wait the kids be too much before I even tell my family. No, I'm like, I want good and positive thoughts throughout this whole process, right? So, you know, I had some of my best girlfriends kind of involved with this whole thing. And then, of course, my family. So they were there, you know, with us every step of this journey. So when we did lose them, then uh, you had a huge support system and they felt the grief with you. Yeah. Best thing ever to have people that you can support and love. I'm just going to say to you right now that
0: when you do have your child, I think one of the best names for a child is Karamo or Karama. (laughs) I just want to put that Uh in there
2: right now. (laughs) That's going right to the top of the list.
0: Uh, Listen, don't say that because now I have audio of you saying that's the top of the list. And so now (laughs) I'm going to expect for your child to be named.
2: Oh, Little Coromo Turchin Bass. I love it. Exactly.
0: This this sounds all wrong. You know what? Actually, let me take that off the list right now. After you put it with the last names, I'm like, nah, sorry. We we can't do it. I ain't going to do that to your child. Um, Listen, Lance, I got to say, you are a true inspiration. You are someone who truly has not only done work on yourself, but has done so much work, that has supported other people and created a better life for other people. You've entertained us. We've loved you. And I'm just so happy to have spoken with you today. So thank you so much for being on the show, man.
2: Well, it was lovely talking to you.
0: I want to thank Lance for coming on the show and being so open. What inspires me about Lance the most is not just his honesty, but his ability to seize opportunity and to find new purpose and opportunities for his life. This is something that each of us have the power to do, too. If you are in a space where you feel you are ready for change, go after it. Make a plan, do that plan, and don't be afraid to ask for help along the way. The life you want is out there waiting. Go get it. Friends, as always, thank you for listening and growing with me. Make sure to hit me up on Instagram and Twitter at Karamo to let me know how you feel about today's episode. Till so next time, take care of yourself and each other. Karamo, a podcast, is an entertainment show. For advice or support on any emotional or mental challenges, please contact a licensed professional in your town. This show was produced by Karamo, Nick Panella of Workhouse Media, and assisted by Ellie Charles. All music composed by Ernie Wooden and the Big Woozy Band, and all episodes are edited by Nathan Moody. Thank you for listening and growing with us.